Is it beer yet? And all the work we do at NeoZaz.com, including this special War of the Worlds Week event, is made possible by the generosity of our Patreon supporters. If you want to learn how you can help support everything we do at NeoZaz.com, please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash NeoZaz. Welcome to this special War of the Worlds edition of Is It Beer Yet? I am Matt, and this episode is featuring the beer Wart of the Worlds. This is also a special episode for our annual War of the Worlds Week. First, if you don't know what our War of the Worlds Week event is, we take the last week of October and dedicate that entire week, each day of that week, to the subject, the War of the Worlds. We started in 2016, and it was directly aimed at the 1938 Orson Welles and Mercury Theater on the Air production of Ed Koch's adaptation of H.G. Wells' novel, but we've since grown to also cover the book, um, some parts of the movies, and then really... Just about anything that has to do with War of the Worlds is starting to come up in our annual event. Now, if you're new to Is It Beer Yet? This is our beer-themed show for NeoZaz.com. It mainly focuses on the beers that we brew here in Orlando, Florida. But we've also expanded the show to include coverage of local breweries from our network personalities from all over the U.S. at this point. This is a beer-brewing edition of Is It Beer Yet? But it's also a War of the Worlds Week episode. So how do those two tie together? Well, let me explain what's going on in this particular episode. Since the start of War of the Worlds Week in 2016, I've said many times that I want to do an adaptation from Neozaz on the story. That didn't happen in 2016 or 2017, and it's not going to happen this year, 2018. But it's something I've been working on for almost all that time. Not straight through those entire three years nonstop, of course, But it's a project that's been very much alive that entire time and still is. I just can't seem to dial into the the script into something that I'm completely happy with. This year, I went through all the major revisions of the scripts I have written since 2016 and outlined them to see what points were really strong, what needed to be overhauled, and what should never show up again in any other version. When I looked at the outline for the very first version, I mean the very first draft that I talked about in 2016, I saw it came out to about 20 different specific scenes. 25 is also the number of recordings, or at least the average number of recordings that I do during a brewing episode of Is It Beer Yet? So for this episode, I'll be brewing the War of the Worlds themed beer. As I record the process, like I do in every brewing episode of Is It Beer Yet? I'll also be ending each of those recording segments with a scene from that first draft of NeoZaz.com's War of the Worlds. It's not from the script, there's not dialogue, but I'm going to explain to you the story that was the first draft for what will hopefully one day become the War of the Worlds production from NeoZaz.com. So in other words, it's a story that was written in that script. That'd probably be a faster way to have said that. This will be the first time any of the NeoZaz War of the Worlds production of any sort has been shared. I will tell you that as a first draft, many things have already changed in the story, but I thought it might be a fun way to finally share something of this project that I've talked about for three years and incorporate it into one of our series that you might not normally think to download when looking for War of the Worlds content. Now for the Is It Beer portion of the show. Wart of the Worlds. That is a name, and it might sound a little strange if you're not familiar with the brewing process. 
Wort is the liquid that will become beer before you start the fermentation process. Before you add the yeast, that huge batch of liquid is technically called wort. That's where the name comes from. Now, the style. Let's talk about that. I It had to be a red beer of some sort because red is a direct reference to the red weed that covers the planet after the Martians initial invasion in the original story. But we've done more than our fair share of amber ales, Irish reds, traditional red beers. We've done many of them on the show already. So we're trying something new here. We're trying to make a red Kolsch. It's a almost traditional Pilsner malt based beer with a specific Kolsch yeast to get that clean, crisp taste associated with associated with the malt. I say almost traditional because we're going to be adding just barely enough specialty malts to hopefully act as a natural food coloring and not affect the taste, not affect the style that that beer should be uh, presenting, the, the style that should be as a Kolsch. I guess we could have used actual food coloring to get a red beer, but this using malts, using the four key ingredients, water, malts, hops, and yeast to do it is was much more of a challenge. So to do that, this is the grain bill. We started with a big nine pounds of German Pilsner and then eight ounces or half pound of Crystal 120L, four ounces of chocolate malt and four ounces of carapils. Now that last bit is for the head retention and for the body overall body. That's not going to affect the taste or color. It's really going to be coming from the Crystal 120L would have definitely got it to the orange amber range and that touch of chocolate. And hopefully that's just a touch of chocolate should give it a deep, dark red and not affect the taste too much. Or if it does, if it gives that little bit of roasty chocolate flavor, hopefully we can age that out. We're going to find out. The hops, super simple. One ounce of Cascade at 60 minutes, one ounce of Cascade at one minute. This is not a hop-heavy beer. Again, I explained it's a, it's a Kolsch. We're looking for light, crisp, almost a refreshing, uh, maybe even a little bit of yeasty tartness to it. But we're going for uh, a very malt. Not even a, Actually, I take it back. We're not going for a malt-heavy beer. We're going actually for a, a very uh, a light yeast-forward beer without it being in that Hefeweizen and uh, wheat-type yeast spectrum. So... That is the grain bill. The biggest factor to this flavor is going to be the yeast. We're using White Labs WLP 029 German Ale Kolsch yeast. It's been cultivated and grown, and whatever they do to make yeast do what they do to specifically create that Kolsch profile, that nice, clean, crisp. I keep saying crisp, and that's that's the key word here, profile to the beer. It's really going to come down to did I put just enough of those specialty malts in to give it color and not too much to take over the flavor. And is the yeast going to do its job? I have every faith in the yeast. We're going to find out in the grain bill. So that is it for the setup. I know this was a long intro, but this is a unique episode and I wanted to give it a thorough explanation or give, I should say, give a thorough explanation of what's going on in this episode. So with that, let's get to the recordings for Wart of the Worlds and the first draft outline of Neozaz.com's The War of the Worlds. It's brew day, and I've already got things started. I've got the uh, hot liquor tank outside on the burners. It's got the strike water in there, getting up the temperature. Came back in the garage in the middle of the rest of my grains. I also had the pool, just as a side note, we had pulled everything off the porch, every single little, little thing off our porch to clean it a few weeks ago. So I'm putting things back, including the burners, the gas, the chair that I actually sit in. 
uh, toting all that water um, in a hot liquor tank. It wasn't super, uh, or a lot of exertion to do that, but I just realized as I'm now standing still, kind of lost my breath a little, so if I'm kind of breathing heavier than normal, sorry about that. Um, but I'm back in the garage about to mill the rest of my grains. I grilled the one pound of specialty malts already, which I've done the grain bill in the studio. About to do the nine pounds of Pilsner to go along with that. By the time I'm done, uh, the water might be close to temperature, probably close enough that I can get everything else out there that I need. The boil kettle, the mash tun, a big bucket of sanitizer, the pumps. So, yeah, I mean, timing should be good. I'm trying to get done earlier than later because it's going to be a hot day. It's already hot. And it looks like there's going to be thunderstorms rolling in. And I'd like to get this done before they do because I do all my cleaning outside. But we'll see. You can never really count on the weather here in Florida. Okay, so with that, before I mill my grains, I also have to share the story of the first draft of the news as War of the Worlds, the one written in 2016. We're up to, I think, like the seventh or eighth draft. So most of this story is has been changed. There's not a whole lot of spoilers, but there might be some, some elements that come in here and there. But by and large, the story has changed, so I feel safe telling you this. I'm not going to read the script because there's about a dozen characters, but I'm going to tell you what happened in pieces. So to start off with, since we're starting off the episode, I'll start off with the premise of what the War of the Worlds script originally was, the first draft. And that was, it was a show that was going to take place on October 30th, exactly like the original 1938 Mercury Theater on the Air version. Except in this case, we weren't going to tell anybody that this was the War of the Worlds. It was going to be a live call-in episode of the Catacombs of Halloween Horror Nights podcast that we do. And everything was going to unfold. It was kind of going to be a surprise episode. So pretty much um, what we were kind of possibly expecting was that our Catacombs of Halloween Hard Nights listeners would be listening, didn't know that this was going to unfold into the War of the Worlds story and kind of be surprised and hopefully entertained by this. And then later, maybe even the next day, we start advertising, hey, we did War of the Worlds. But it's going to be kind of a surprise, a pop-up production in a sense. And the idea of that show was... Just a live call-in show for that year's event, which is Halloween Horror Nights 26. It was going to be me, Quint, and Karen, the usual host for the show at the time. We hadn't met Shelby yet, so she wasn't on, or planned to be on. And it was going to, we had a real phone number for people to call in. We are going to set up a voicemail saying that the lines are full. We had a chat room for people to react. And we had a live stream set up on our website. So it was going to be, again, kind of a surprise pop-up, Catacombs of Halloween Horror Nights live episode that turned into War of the Worlds. And what happened, we'll find out after this. Okay, everything's set up. I am waiting patiently for this strike water to get to just five more degrees. And when I say everything, it's just say everything for brewing. I don't have the cooling system out yet. I won't need that for like four more hours. I think I have time to get it. Although, knowing me, I'll probably be scrambling last minute to get it. But while I wait for the water, we'll get to the second part of the story and... Like I said, it was a call-in show, so we take our first caller, and he asked us what our favorite part of Halloween Horror Nights 26 was, which this was a little tricky to do in the script, because we were going to have to record before, well before the uh, event even started. So we didn't know what our favorite thing was, but by the time we had gotten the recording, we would know what everything there was, so we could make a pretty decent guess, but we did run the risk of saying something stupid. We could have picked like the worst house or scare zone as our favorite thinking on paper sounded cool but it wasn't but so we took that chance well we didn't actually end up producing the script but script wise we took that chance and answered the question regular flow of show 
like a call-in show like you'd expect, then Lou from Neozaz, which you may have heard his voice on Stars and Character or his own shows, uh, the second season of I Have Questions or Dial-Up Movies, he called in with some Halloween banter. And then at the very end, he said, oh, hey, guys, did you see uh, some cool stuff on the news? I know you're interested in space. Did you see what's going on? We said, no, what's that? And we'll find out after this. Okay, got the strike water in the mash tun, stirring it around to heat up the mash tun and cool down the water as you hear. It's at 168, I need to get it to about 163, and that should be just enough time to tell you the next part of the story. And as we left off, Lou had called, said, did you see that stuff about space? So what had happened was, while Lou was on hold to get on the show, he's just skimming through the internet, Facebook, Twitter, whatever, and keep seeing this repeat trending news about explosions on Mars. So he checks it out. Now, the news is still pretty early, but apparently there's been some explosions uh, seen on Mars. And he knew my interest in space. Quint had an interest in space as well, so he had to make sure that we knew about it. Didn't have any information. The news had just kind of started coming across. And by the time he got on the call, he really didn't have time to check out CNN or Associated Press or any actual news articles. He was just clicking on trending links and thought it was worth sharing so he did we get interested but we move on with just excuse me but we move on with the show which you'll hear about next well the mash has been sitting for about five minutes so i'm going to take a quick ph reading on here we're looking for somewhere between five two and five four it's usually high i think my water is a little more alkaline than acidic, so chances are we're going to have to add some lactose acid here. Let's see, we are at 5.86 and still calculating. If I hadn't mentioned it before, this is the Milwaukee MW12 pH meter. It's <laughs> probably the second best electronic item in my arsenal next to my brew jacket. Uh, it has a pH probe and a temperature probe, so it calculates for the pH adjustment because it's also reading the temperature of the liquid that you have the pH probe in. So it's still calculating. We are at 5.76, I'm going to guess we're going to level out like 5.7, 5.69, somewhere around there. It's still calculating. If I'd known it was going to <laughs> be such a difficult calculation, I wouldn't have started this recording so soon. 5.7, oh, 5, oh, it's still calculating. It almost said it was done. It was thinking about it. 5.69, oh, I think I'm going to be wrong. It's still calculating. Still calculating. 5.68, that's where it stopped. So I was off by 1. Point, no, point zero 0.01. So it's a little alkaline-y, not super, uh, was it not super, I can't think of the word for it but uh it needs some acid so we're going to add just a little bit a little bit of lactic lact is it lactic acid i think it's a lactose acid a little bit of lactic acid goes a long way in this match mash so i'm just going to add just a teeny teeny bit stir it up see if i can get it down to the five four five three range okay i have these little tiny eyedroppers i guess you'd call them these little uh they look like little you know a little squeeze eyedropper things i don't even know how much they hold barely anything i usually use them for samples for my um do the iodine test so i 
use that to literally add six drops of lactic acid in here and it dropped it to 5.28 not going to touch it anymore like i said a little bit goes a long way so i'm going to seal this up let the mash finish out and we'll check on it uh in an hour but we'll stir it between now and then of course and oh i owe you a bit of story i'm actually gonna have to uh set this recorder down and then pick it back up so hold on Okay, so Lou had called, told us about the explosions on Mars. We go back to the calls. Someone asked us about Texas Chainsaw Massacre, how we like the house. Now, that was a house in 26, so that was another safe bet. We pretty much knew what was going to be in there, mainly Leatherface. That's where the dialogue went. We talked about the Leatherface characters, how great they looked. Oddly enough, it ended up being my favorite house of that year, but I didn't know that at the time of writing this. As we're discussing this, mainly me, Quint is checking out the supposed chat room i say that in air quotes now we did have a chat room set up for this but we also had a chat room story and they weren't going to match i did toy with the idea of making a animated flash chat room where what he was reading would show up but that we just abandoned that idea but anyway story-wise quinn is checking the chat room sees that someone else was talking about the mars explosions and from there we take another call and that calls about is there anything we would uh ever take away from halloween horror nights this is where Karen and Quint start talking because they uh, were started off with saying they haven't been going that long, and I'm the one that gets distracted. And I've actually dug a little deeper into the news articles, and I found something regarding the explosions. And we'll talk about that after this. This is the point of the brew day where i usually go get the ice for the cooling portion which is still hours to come but as luck would have it my wife happens to be going to the same store just at this time and she's generously offered to pick the ice up for me i don't know what that'll cost me later but honestly i don't mind because it is already so hot today it's just after 10 i'm sweating through every piece of clothing i have on my hair looks like i got out of the shower out of the grossest shower ever and i did not feel like taking all these clothes off putting on clean clothes and going through all this again i just rather sweat through one set take it off throw it right in the washer then build up a pile of gross sweaty clothes so i don't mind whatever favor she's going to cash in later for this because it's worth it but since i would usually record as i'm driving i'll go ahead and get back to the war of the worlds first draft story and it, i just left off with that i had found something online about the explosions and it's an article that i find that i summarize during the show and it's a news article that explains the explosions are coming from around the peak of olympus mons olympus mons that's the highest point on mars it was a once a volcano and there's supposed to be like caverns and lava tubes and whatnot in there i'm not quite sure i didn't look this up for the story i'm gonna guess they found them through like some kind of radar technology possibly i'm not even sure that's true but one way or another or maybe it's speculation because it is a volcano but i think there is some kind of um data saying that there are caverns under that and the idea is whatever is has been happening on mars there's plenty of room to construct these things that are being exploded on the surface in those caverns it's not explained in the story but it's kind of using that bit of uh, information that we have on Mars and Olympus Mons and incorporating it into the, the backstory of the story. So further in the article, it states that their speculation has been happening for months because the MAVEN satellite system that checks Mars, it has uh, its last imagery of that particular point 
of Olympus Mons has no markings, and now that it's come around again, not only are there is it seeing live explosions, but it's also seeing uh, what would the um, scorch marks of the indications of where form, past explosions had happened. So it could have been hours, days, or months. They they're not sure because they haven't quite figured out the timing on what they're seeing live, but it could have gone back as far as months. So that is the summary of the article, and from there we go back to the show. All right, we got about seven minutes left in the mesh before we do an iodine test, and I also have the sparge water on the heat. That's about 120. Should all work out pretty well by the time uh, we're done Vorloffing. Might have to wait a few minutes. That's okay. A little extra time in the mesh. Isn't going to do anything, especially as it's cooling. If it was heating, if it was the temperature was too hot, too long would be a problem. But obviously, that's not the case here. So, on to the next bit of the story for the War of the Worlds draft. Uh, like I said, I believe in the last recording that we go back to take some calls. This time, we're talking about someone asked about Halloween Horror Nights Hollywood. If you didn't know, that also happens in Hollywood, not just Orlando. And. We're all talking because it's one of those things where Quint and I were talking her experience. Karen was talking that she wanted to do it. She starts kind of telling a story of how she wants to visit it because she's heard how it's different, but she kind of want to wait for the right year. And in the as she's talking, there's this there's like a like a rumbling, a noise, maybe a little bit of static on her line. She kind of sounds like she's talking over a walkie-talkie for a second, and then and it completely drops. And we're like, Karen, you there? You there? No response. So we go back to the caller. He's gone, so the collar drops. So right now, as far as the stream goes, just me and Quint are the only ones on there. We go back to the phones, and first line, we try. No one's there. Second line, no one's there. Third line, there's this horrific technical problem sound that just blows our ears away. Um, our eardrums out is probably a better way to say it. So the phones are down. Karen's gone. We're not quite sure what's happening, but we're up against a break anyway, so we decided to take a break to sort out our technical issues as we introduce the commercial break or do our kind of rollout to it there's a you hear the sound of a text message alert on my phone and then the commercial runs and what happens we'll find out next All right, well, the iodine tests look good. I have the sparge water ready. It's actually over ready. It's about 177, it should be 170. I'll explain that in just a second. So I'm just gonna let the mash sit for another 10 minutes or so. It's not gonna hurt it before I start first runnings so that the sparge water can get down to temperature. What had happened was I'd got my pump ready for Vorloffing and I did a quick test and it seemed like the motor was seized. So I quick took the head apart cleaned it out there wasn't really anything in there There was a couple little uh like husks from the old uh from previous pumps but the the inside of the head looked clean but i gave it a good rinse put it back together and it was fine so i don't know why it was seized up maybe one of the little husks uh had kept the paddle from spinning but there it was it's fine now so that's why i took my eye off the temperature on the hot liquor tank for the sparge water but it's all good now Another 10 minutes or so, uh, maybe a little less, going to boil off and then get the first runnings and then start sparging, get everything in the boil can or kettle and get ready to boil. But before that, let's get back to the story here. So we went to a commercial. We, we 
come out of it and the phone systems reset so things look good technical wise that text message we heard before we went to the commercial that was karen texting me my character that she lost power so that's she's completely dead in the water she can't join in the call she's just kind of sitting there waiting patiently so me and clint soldier on we take two more phone calls um there are more general halloween horror nights questions as we're talking quint scans through the trending news himself now and he all of a sudden not all of a sudden but in the searching he comes up with a surprise headline which we weren't expecting in big bold letters it's because it says country shaken and it's an article about recorded meteorite strikes in 12 cities across the country so Quint starts scanning through to kind of summarize and give the details, not a whole lot of information yet. While he's doing that, another text alert comes across, but this time it's not Karen, it's Dave from Neo's As. If you're not familiar with these people, this is Dave from Star Wars in Character, Seinfeld in Character, The Grady's, a couple other shows, and he is in Pennsylvania, which is worth noting, same area Karen's in. Now what he's texting about, we'll find out after this. The Vorloff is running, as you can probably hear the pump going. It's still going after that quick... I don't even know what... I was going to say repair, but it wasn't even that. So, color-wise, we have got burgundy right now. By the time we sparge this out, it's going to be red. We're going to get that nice red color. Hopefully the specialty grains aren't adding a whole lot of flavor. It's uh, going to do something, but it's... it's uh, what is it? It is three quarters of a pound of the ones that would add flavor. They're more adding color. Uh, we're going for that Kolsch flavor, but we're going for the red for the whole War of the Worlds thing. But let's see, we're already uh, a minute into it and we got the big grains out. We should be getting the finer particles out here very shortly. Seven minutes is going to be more than enough, I think, on this Vorloff. And then we'll get to the, uh, the uh, first runnings and then the sparging. And then on to the main event of the boil. But until then, let's get back to the story. So, like I mentioned, Dave, Dave from Neozaz, a bunch of Neozaz shows in Pennsylvania, he texted us because there was one of these crashes, we'll still call them meteorites at this point, there was a meteorite crash really close to him, at least to the town that he's in. And he's going to go check it out, and he's asking me if he wants him to, rec- if he wants me to have him record anything because it's such a unique event and he knows my interest in space and sounds like it's something right up my alley and I'm like absolutely so I actually end up calling Dave on his phone I patched a cell phone call into the live stream and Dave kind of tells the story of what happened on his end he was at work at his bar power went out much like Karen's did they kind of waited around no sign of the power coming back on someone and a nearby uh, business came, walked over and said, hey, did, did you hear about this crash? Yada, yada, yada. And that's when Dave decided he's going to close up shop, go check it out, see what's going on, then contact Matt. So with this crash being in the same area that Karen's in, me, the Matt character, this is hard to describe when I'm talking about myself. I'll just say me from now on, or I. I go ahead and I text Karen and let her know what had happened and of course in relation to what we've been hearing on the show so the Colin show so far so now she is contemplating going out there as well so at this point in the story to kind of recap because we're coming up to the second act here a little bit we started off with a live call-in show Lou had called in with some information about explosions from Mars 
We followed the explosions, the news on the explosions. Now we have crashes nearby. We have confirmed crashes in over a dozen cities at this point, one of them being where Karen is and our uh, Neozaz cohort, Dave, and they're seemingly both on the way out there. We know Dave is, at least. And that leaves me and Clint on the show to continue reporting, follow up with them, and maybe continue with the live Halloween Horror Night show that we started with, but hard to tell now because so much is going on and so much has changed. And that's where we're at. And what happens next will be after this. We got a little change of plan as far as my process today is going. Not in the show. Everything is going on as normal. But I had planned to fly sparge this batch and I had fixed my fly sparge arm which I talked about when I debuted it but I forgot that I had a tubing issue with it and I don't have enough tubes and I didn't buy any since that issue I because I kind of forgot about that so I'm going to go ahead and batch sparge this so what I'm doing now pump is still going as you can probably hear I'm doing first runnings oh you can probably actually hear that too doing first runnings into the boil kettle and then I'm going to batch sparge this for about uh, 20 minutes. I'll let it sit with 170 degree um, sparge water and then pump that through Vorloff it, of course, and then pump that into the kettle. Really wanted to fly sparge just to see if this thing, not just to, but I wanted to fly, fly sparge this batch and I wanted to see if this arm worked. It was, it was dual purpose, but batch sparging, we should get through it just fine as well. So no big deal, but a little change in plan and method today. So that's that. This is still going to take a few minutes to pump out. Let me see if I can see uh, grain bed starting to settle. So it's getting close to finishing first runnings. But I can go ahead and go on with the story here, I think. So me and Quint kind of left to our own devices right now. Quint, during those phone calls I was making, talking to Dave and Karen, Quint, he actually finds a streaming news report about all this. Now it's a local report. should also mention that Quint is in San Jose, California. That's important to the story. And he sends me the link. I patch through the audio. And this news report is, of course, about the meteorite strikes. Meteorite strikes, I should say. There's more cities added to this list. We're up to about 20 now. And these news anchors bring on their science correspondent. He's an astronomer. And he comments on the situation, like what it could be, what it probably isn't. The big question they have is, how do we not see this coming? He actually gives a very good explanation of how they didn't with the range and uh, the field of view that every uh, observatory telescope on earth can actually only do a very marginal percentage of the sky so it's very easy to miss something like this but the big takeaway from this particular news report is that the anchors do kind of wrap up this segment with saying that so far all these crashes have been miraculously nowhere near any houses businesses or buildings they've managed to be in completely unpopulated areas so there's no injuries to report at this point so that's kind of a little bit of a foreshadowing again if you know the story you know where it's going but a little bit of foreshadowing to anyone new to the story of what's actually about to happen so what does happen well we'll find out after this batch sparge is done and i'm vorloffing the batch sparge before i put it into the boil kettle so not much news there so a little bit of the story to go along with that. We're now at the point where me and Quint are deciding what to do with the rest of the coverage for the night. So we take a informal poll on the chat room 
And just about everybody's captivated with this whole meteorite story, including the people listening to our show and in the chat room. So we decide that's what we're going to follow until it, something unfolds or if it peters out or whatever happens. And then along with that, I also get confirmation that Karen is on her way to the crash site as well. So now we got Dave and Karen on their way to a live crash site. Me and Quint covering from whatever resources we can get online. We're still live. And to kind of regroup, we go to break. Much like this. Okay, I'm slowly pumping out the, the I guess it's technically extract from the sparge. I'm pumping out the, the sparge portion of the brew from the mash tun. And we're about just over six gallons. Probably get to seven and a half, maybe. Judging, trying to judge by what's left in here. Not quite eight. Eight's usually the goal because of the huge evaporation rate here. But with this, this new system and the new fermenter I have, it's really not. Um, you can. I think my my uh, target should be a little less, like maybe more towards seven. So I'm not too worried about it if we get to seven or above. And uh, looks like we're probably gonna get there. Yeah, it's really not slowing down. Now, I'm starting to see the top of the grain bed, but I still see some liquid sitting there. So it's got a lot in there to go. Probably another gallon. In fact, it's about six and a half now. Getting there, getting close. Not quite there, but just in the time I talked, gained another gallon. So I think we're good. I'm not really worried about that. As I said, like three times. All right, story. So back to the War of the Worlds, first draft. Um, what are we at here? We took a break, and we're back from the break. And now I'm catching listeners up on what's going on. And during that break, Dave actually arrived on site. He's on the phone. I patch him through and immediately hear helicopters, trucks coming by, uh, sirens, not constant sirens, but like the siren when, the, when a fire truck wants you to get out of the way. It's kind of thing like a whoop, whoop. Yeah, I just did that on recording. And we hear all this over the phone as Dave describes what's going on. He sees some lights up ahead. It's got to be at the crash site. Uh, he catches up with another guy. He's like, do you know, you know is, it, is that where the crash site is? The guy says he thinks so. The guy was, uh, he lives in a neighborhood nearby. He actually heard, he describes what he heard. He heard the sound of whatever this is just screeching through the air, and he could hear the impact and feel it to an extent all the way from his house. So Dave kind of got a little on-site interview. That's a little nod to, um, that's a direct nod, actually, to the Wilmoth Farm, Mr. Wilmoth's uh, interview from the 1938 and so Dave is trucking on, on foot. He parked with a bunch of other cars, pretty much where they all decided to collect the, or stop and park. And now he's headed up to the those lights where the seemingly the crash site is. And we'll come back after this. Okay, we got all the extract into the boil kettle and the heat is on. And it's on the big, the big burner. It's going to come up to a boil in no time. So in the end, we almost got seven and three quarters gallons. That The liquid line is just, just below that three quarters. So again, I wasn't worried about it before it was done. And I'm definitely not worried about it now that it's done draining into the boil kettle. You probably followed this. I tend to forget when I make these recordings that like 20, 30 minutes sometimes go past for me. So I have to remind myself what I was talking about. But for you, I mean, it was like one drum beat for a second and a half. So you're probably wondering, why on earth does he put so much ex exposition into each recording some days? So that's because for me, I got to remind myself what I was talking about. Anyway, all right, let's get back to the story. 
that's probably why most people are downloading this because honestly i don't think there's anything new brewing wise in this episode yet it ain't over yet and the storm's coming i can actually see it so could be getting fun here quickly but anyway okay so now at this point of the story karen calls back in and she is on her way to the crash site but she's on the other side of it so picture if you're looking at like a map say like google maps and there's like a big section of trees and whatnot and there's like a kind of a road that splits it into like a big rectangle picture let's say it's in the crashes in the upper left hand corner of that rectangle of that wooded area or whatever it is it could be a could be a you know a cleared out area but that area where there's no houses or anything just those four roads kind of blocking it in so picture that in the upper left hand corner that's where dave is dave took the road directly there Karen is on, like, in the bottom right-hand corner. She's as far away as you can be. She's in the area, but she's on the other side. Now, at this point, from Karen's vantage point, the roads are blocked because everybody's gotten wind of this, and they're trying to check it out. If you, if you knew the town I based this on, which is the town I grew up in, you'd understand why. If something like this did happen, everyone would go see it because there ain't nothing else going on. But anyway, so Karen is stuck in the traf- uh, near the traffic. She can hear the helicopters. She can kind of see where the collection of lights are because every once in a while she can catch a glimpse of a, like a fire truck light or an ambulance or a, maybe even a police car light, but she's, not, she's really not anywhere near it. So she's kind of just sitting there waiting and kind of discusses what she's going to do next. But then Dave calls in, or jumps in actually. He's still on the line. He's like, I see it. He can actually see what this crash thing is, and it's not a meteor. Way back after this. We're getting real close to that rolling boil. It's starting to, things are starting to turn and spin and these little thermal, uh, ty- I don't, typhoon, no, you moron. I can't think of the word now. These little funnels, not, not tornadoes. Wow. Since I messed up so bad, I lost my train of thought. But anyway, there's lots of movement going on here. I'm sure there are scientific explanations for all of this. I don't know them. I just know just before this of uh, the rolling boil goes this happens so it's coming up quick one thing i did not talk about in all this i think i've been concentrating more on the war of the world's story but i do need to say color on this dead on if nothing else we've got our red beer for the theme of this beer i took a little taste of the extract no roasted flavor anywhere and i was trying hard to find it that's good that little bit of chocolate malt did what it's supposed to do it gave it a deep rich like right now it's a little darker than red or a little uh i'm sorry a little lighter than it's going to be but it's going to be uh red bordering on that mahogany color so it's going to be a nice deep red once this boil is done and hopefully uh the rest will fall into place like the uh the hops edition very light we'll talk about that when we get to it but the big thing to make this Kolsch taste like a Kolsch is going to be the yeast, which we are going to talk about more when we get to the yeast as well, because we have a very specialized strain to get the result we want. But since I failed to mention the color, especially during the Vorloff, that's when you really saw it. But now that I'm looking at it in the boil pot, it is dead on. If nothing else, we've got the color of the beer we want for this beer. So, so far, so good. All right, now back to the story. Dave had just gotten a good look of what's at the crash site. It's not a meteorite. It's smooth. It's rounded. It's some kind of metal object. That much you can tell. Not we're In this story, we're kind of tapering a little bit away from the straight-up cylinder, but it's still cylindrical. It's kind of tapered cylinder on each end. Not an egg. Longer than an egg, but a little more tapered. We kind of gave it more 
aerodynamics for, I guess, uh, and more of a, I don't know if I want to call it a modern flair to it, but just a little more um, than just the round cylinder. So we're kind of deviating from the HG Wells bit there a little bit. But the point is, the met you can see that it's metal because it's completely shiny, completely zero scorching. Doesn't look like this thing came through any atmosphere or anything. He's got this kind of pale yellow sheen to it, almost like a white gold. And he does note that there's like this kind of line running along the side of it. And at the where it points to the what he would call the front because of the way the impact zone is. It's like everything in front of this point that he's calling the front is where the, the earth is pushed up, the ground is pushed up. So that's presumably the way it came in and landed. And at that front is this kind of crescent shape. So that's about all he can see from that side. So now he's following the police tape and he's going to go along it, around it, whatever you want to call it, as much as he can and see what he can see on the other side. And while we wait, Quint is catching up the audience on what's going on so far. And, and then we'll be back after this. All right, we are on the verge of a rolling boil. In fact, things are starting to roll as I say that. We got a very, very, very simple hop addition throughout this entire boil. In fact, it's there's two. And one is at 60 minutes, one is at one minute. Same hop. I believe it's a hop we've featured before on the show, but if we haven't, it's Cascade Hops. It's a very, uh, I mean, it's it's a good hop, but it's, it's only got about a 6% uh, alpha acid on it. Now, that is the, like, the alpha acids is what it brings the flavor of the bittering, the aromas to it. So usually the, the like ones we've been featuring on our IPAs and our pale ales, they're more in the 12, 14. There's some that are even bordering on 20 these days. So this is kind of the middle of the road. And it's not super light. You can get some German, um, oh, what are they? Uh, some Munich Hells or Hello Tower, or I'm not sure how you say that. They're even less than this. So it's, it's a fair hop. It's, it's middle of the road. I'm giving it a smell now. Very, very pleasant smell. It's uh, very floral. You little get a little bit of citrus on the end of it. It's it's a very, very pleasant hop. Very, like I said, um, not super strong, but strong enough to add some flavor to this. Again, I mentioned this before that the, the Kolsch part of this is really going to be coming into yeast. We're just giving the yeast something to ferment and turn this into a beer. So... All right, we're just about at we're actually a little more than rolling. It's going to turn the gas down a touch because this burner is a beast. I want it. I just want the surface to ripple. I don't want to, like a lot of splashing. Looks like we're there. Well, let me see if I can turn it down a little more. Yep, I'm going to call that rolling. So let's put in the first top and get the timer started. All right, we're officially brewing. We are now, we now have wort. The hops have touched the extract. We officially have wort. So beer is on the way. It's not quite there yet. It's not beer yet, to answer the question. But it's, it's wort. I cracked myself up. All right, <laughs> get back to my notes. I almost had a disaster with my notes. I was cleaning out my hoses for the, um, for the pump because uh, I'm going to need them later. And I pulled one of the hoses out of the bucket I was cleaning at and just splashed my notes. But luckily, I apparently printed this on a laser printer not an inkjet printer so everything's here it's just the paper's wet so <laughs> where we were dave is following the police line to take a, a closer look at the or i should say another look at the other side of this object and now from the vantage point he's at currently on the phone he sees that there's a lot more of this embedded in the ground than initially thought so things a lot bigger than his initial report and now here 
is a story element that has lasted in every draft and probably will last into the final version, whatever year we do that. So if for some reason you want to avoid all spoilers, I will tell you the rest of this particular segment and a couple of segments are probably going to make it to the final version. But it's not the whole story, so I mean, it's just a little, little spoiler. But it, I'll, I'll continue now. If you want to skip over, I'd say I'll probably be talking another 90 seconds, minute and a half, two minutes. So here we go. As he's there, a drone flies overhead. And it's not a, not a military drone, not a police drone. It's some independent drone, and that's important later in the story. And it's flying above it, and it's a pretty safe distance. Decides to kind of test out the um, self closer you can get. Gets a little closer, gets to about 20 feet from the front of it. Uh, starts to inch down a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. Gets about 10 feet. And then one of the military guys are ordered to shoot it out of the air. So this drone that was just flying over is now tumbled directly into the crater, and it's seemingly gone. But is it? Well, we'll find out. We are about halfway through the boil, and there is nothing to report about the brew process. We don't have anything to do. Uh, if I mentioned that the hop... The second hop drop is at one minute, but at 10 minutes, we'll put in the Warflock tablet, the yeast nutrients, and the Hydra immersion chiller to sanitize it. But um, since I kind of paced out <laughs> the story to tell, along with this War of the Worlds Week episode, I, I paced it out based on the number of average recordings for an episode, and I figured I should probably fit one in the middle here so I stay on track, because usually there's more to talk about in the boil. This happens to be not one of those average boils so this is mainly a story recording and looking at my notes um if you did avoid the spoiler in the last segment i can tell you this yes this has nothing to do with that spoiler and you can listen freely and in fact you should still be able to follow the story just fine so at this point now because of what happened in the last segment, the military and the police presence, the people that are kind of guarding the crash site, they're starting to push everybody away. It's too close. Now it's too dangerous. You know, one jerk spoiled everything, so pushes starts pushing everybody back. Dave actually stays ahead of the crowd to kind of keep, you know, under the radar. And as he's walking away, there's all of a sudden this loud... I don't have the sound effect in mind, but in my notes it said a loud engine slash mechanical slash whirling slash alien sound coming from the object that stops Dave dead in his tracks. And he asks, can we hear it? And we're not quite sure we're hearing what we are. So Dave holds his phone directly towards it so we actually get a good clip of the sound or good uh, hearing of the sound. I'm not sure what to call that. Over the stream, over the connection that Dave is on on our stream. And it's just, it's it's kind of frightening. It's And it's coming, and it's definitely coming from that object. And at this point now, someone gets on a megaphone or maybe a loudspeaker on top of a military truck. Now now they're pushing everybody away a lot more ur urgently. They want everybody out of the area. And why? We'll find out. It's not quite at the 10-minute mark yet in the boil, but I looked ahead in my notes here for the story portion of this episode, and it's pretty long. It takes It's going to take a little longer explanation, I think, than the last few segments. So as important as the story is to this being our War of the Worlds Week episode, the brewing process is just as, as important. So I figured I'll make another recording where I can give enough time and attention to the story and leave ample time to get back to proper brewing. So this really, this segment has nothing to do with brewing. And in fact, this 
segment also has nothing to do with the spoiler I mentioned. There is a story element left over from the initial introduction of the spoiler that's going to be mentioned, but it's not going to give the way away the spoiler uh, necessarily. So you should anyone that's avoiding the spoilers, if anyone is, should be able to listen just fine. So, so the story. Let's get to that. <laughs> that is the point of this. Dave, he's headed back to his car. Matt goes back to the phones. The phone lines are back open. People are calling in. This time, the Halloween Horror Nights 26 thing is is kind of past. Everyone is wanting to to discuss this, whatever this is going on. These crashes all over the country. And the caller, this particular caller, is asking if Quinn specifically is paying attention to the news in California. Now, remember, I said earlier, Quint is in San Jose, California in this story. In fact, he is right now as I record this, but that's not the point. And he asked that because there are, at this point now, more crashes reported there than any other state. And Quint's like, well, that makes sense. You know, California is one of the largest states in the continental U.S. But he's like, the color adds to that. It's not... Uh, the significance of the amount of crashes is that they're in a pattern and not a shape pattern. I didn't know what else to call this in a story, but it's more of a distance pattern. Right now, they were able to mark out 14 crashed objects in California, each exactly 22.85 miles apart. So after that call ends, Matt checks in with Karen and her and a few of the other people that are stuck in traffic, they decided to walk towards what they think is the crash site. I mean, I think at this point we all know it is, but they're going towards those lights where they see some flashing police lights now and again. They're, they're walking towards that. Not as many as the people that are there, but the, um, the, there are a few of them. So since she's headed that way and getting closer, albeit by foot very slowly, I ask her if she is able to hear that sound that David just played for us. So she kind of stops and listens. She didn't hear it, but she does mention that she heard some gunfire earlier. Now, of course, we know what that is. And I didn't write it in my notes, but I'm pretty sure in the script I would have explained to her what that was. And from there, we go back to me and Quint on our stream. And Quint has something to share. And we'll hear about that after this. All right, we're down to the last 10 minutes, and I'm eagerly awaiting for that final minute to put in the last top drop. I did put in the Warflock tablet, the East Nutrients, and the Hydra Immersion Chiller is in there sterilizing. So while we wait, let's go on to the next part of the story. And I will tell you, this does have a direct reference to the spoiler I mentioned before. So if you're avoiding that spoiler, you might want to skip this one. I'll probably go for about two minutes. That seems to be the average of this. So that I think I drug that out long enough for fair warning if you need to skip two minutes but here we go now with the story so quint is following up on those reports that the caller just called in about and now the count went from 14 to 20 objects you see 20 objects all 22.85 miles apart and from the air they can see that they all appear again from the air to be the same exact size and shape and what quint is seeing on the tv is exactly what dave has described so it seems that every one of these objects that have fallen all over the country are all the same exact thing. So while Quint is reporting this, Dave actually breaks in because he has caught up with the owner of the drone that was shot down, and they start looking through some footage. They take a look at some of the stuff it recorded. They realize the camera is still functioning. The only thing that really got shot was kind of the rotors, the motors that, that kind of keep the, the uh, drone in the air, but the actual camera is still working, and it's transmitting to this dude's iPad, and 
After they realize that, they see that something's actually happening with the object in the crater. Okay, chaos reigned at the end there, as it typically does. Did the last minute addition, then hooked up all the hoses, got the pumps going, got the <laughs> beer or the wart down. It's not beer yet because yeast hasn't been added. Got the wart down, the pitching temperature, and now I have the everything into the fermenter. It's inside. Now it's time to clean up. But before I start to clean up, we'll get on with the next part of the story here. And uh, oh, quick warning: the uh, Again, spoiler. If you're avoiding the spoilers in this, this segment has the spoiler element in it. So, going to give you a fair time to fast forward. It's about all the time I can give you because now we got to get to the story and the camera, the live camera that's still on the drone inside the crater, is focusing in on not focusing, but it focused in on that object. And like I said in the last segment, something's happening. And what's happening is that crescent-shaped groove. As in the front of the object, it's now opened into this large circle and. It's actually an opening, because from that is coming this slimy, gray, leathery skinned creature with tentacles, and he's got giant black eyes, and he's holding some kind of metallic object. It doesn't take long to figure out what that is, because he actually activates that object, and it's a heat ray of sorts, and it starts just wiping out all the military and the police and everyone in the surrounding crater, and the beam is sweeping back and forth, just catching everyone on fire just disintegrating them or incinerating them is probably a better word and it continues its sweep and dave is just kind of there dumbfounded but not for very long because now he starts to take off okay cleanup is done and if i thought it was hot this morning when i started my god it is hot now that storm never came through I don't know that that would have helped. That just might have made everything humid. But man, was it hot! I think I lost like two pounds in pure water weight. In fact, I got a little bit of a headache that I usually get when I'm dehydrated. So I'm going to have to just really down some water after this. Um, as far as the beer goes, I'm letting the uh, still still wart. The yeast hasn't been pitched yet, so it's not beer. Letting the wart, letting the cold break separate and the tube fall down to the mason jar. And then I'm going to empty the mason jar, put the yeast in that, and then hook that back up throw the valve and that'll that's the yeast will be officially pitched at that point and then we'll have beer and then we just wait for the fermenting to go but we're not there yet we will be shortly but before we get to that let's get back to our story here so now oh quick note um that spoiler if you were avoiding those um sections with the spoiler that's done that's we're not going to hear any more about that in the story, so don't worry about it. Spoiler is come and gone. So now Dave, he is headed back to his, to his car. The crowd that's there as well, they are too. They, they kind of get bunched up as they, as they get towards where the line of cars is, and Dave gets pushed around and bumped a bit in his phone. He get his, his call gets disconnected. Maybe he drops his phone. He doesn't drop his phone because we hear from him later, but uh, his, he just kind of fumbles with his phone as maybe he's dropping it and accidentally turns it off, but he's, his call's gone. Matt goes and calls I. I still forget which way I'm telling the story. I call Karen, let her know what's happening, and if she's still headed towards that crash site, that just turn around and leave and get as far away as she can. And even if she can't get in her car and move, just travel, just go on foot if you need to. Get as far as you can at this point because of what just happened. 
I tell Quint now with all the objects in California, if he needs to leave the stream, there's no sense in him staying on. Just just go if you need to. I mean, we're not doing any good other than just reporting this. There's no reason for him to put himself in jeopardy. He's him and his wife, he says, have been checking traffic around there. Traffic's at a standstill too. There's nowhere to go. We'd just be on foot. So he's in it. He's in it for the long haul too. He's gonna see how this pans out and maybe help some other people in the process. So at this point we've still got me and Quinn on the stream. Karen, we know, is okay because we just talked to her on the phone. Dave, we're hoping, is okay and just lost his phone in his melee. Is that all true? Well, we'll find out after this. So I got the brew jacket in now and the wrap around it and kind of just waiting out for that uh, troop to settle. The wart temperature rose. It's at about 77 degrees now. I want to to get it down to at least 69 before I pitch the yeast because this yeast is White Labs WLP 029 German Ale slash Kolsch yeast. It's made bread ex- ex- specifically for Kolsch, for Kolsch-style beer. In fact, on their website, I'm looking at it right now, it says, from a small brew pub in Cologne, Germany, this yeast works great in Kolsch-style beers, good for light styles like blondes, and honeys accentuate hot fla- accentuates hot flavors. Minimal sulfur produced during fermentation will disappear with age and leave a super clean lager-like ale. So its fermentation range is 65 to 69 degrees. So I want to get it to at least 69. I'd actually like to get it closer to 65 degrees or somewhere in between so that this yeast performs at its optimal uh, performance, I guess, in a sense. So it's able to do what it's meant to do. Too hot of a wart, and it'll stress out the yeast when you get off flavor. So I'm going to let the brew jacket run. It may have to run overnight, and that's fine. Everything's sterile. The airlock is on. Nothing's going to get into it. I'm going to let it drop, the temperature drop, and then pitch the yeast when we're at a better temperature for this. So... Until then, let's get back to the story here. Now, Dave has called back. None of the cars can move. Everyone's just taking off on foot. As he's trying to leave the area, he noticed there's something happening over at the crash site. So he turns around to check it out, and there are three huge, three-legged war machines rising out of the crater they start moving in their separate directions, and as they are, they're firing down at everybody, just clearing their own path. And one of them is actually headed towards where the people in the cars are, and it's firing on them. And Dave describes everything as long as he can until we hear a blast over his phone, and Dave's gone. Well, I got the wart down to 70 degrees. It's just one degree over what I wanted the minimum to be. But it's it's the end of the night. I'm going to bed after this. I figured close enough, it's going to keep cooling overnight instead of waiting that extra eight hours get get things started. And I did it. Uh, the yeast pitching kind of the same but different in this fermenter. Uh, I don't want to describe this long story short best I can. I dumped the trub out of the mason jar, like this fermenter allows, and I sanitized the mason jar, and I put the yeast inside. Now, normally when I use this fermenter, I use a yeast starter, and the yeast starter fills the mason jar almost to the top, like every time, almost. Uh, in this case, I didn't use a yeast starter because it's a pretty low starting gravity. So I am 
putting just the yeast in or I had just put the yeast in and that's a lot less <laughs> takes up a lot less space in the uh, mason jar than the yeast starter so a lot more air got put into the mason jar when I put it back on the fermenter and tightened it and released the valve but since it's not since the yeast is just now adding there's no beer to oxidize in fact it should give a little more oxygen to the wort for the yeast to do their thing so it should be okay have not done it that way before well with all that air but like i said since it's not beer yet adding air i'm not too worried about so that is it now we've got beer now i just have to wait it out to get some good beer so on to the story so now at this point back in the studio we're kind of reeling from what we just heard happen to dave and quint is flipping through different reports and he actually comes across a aerial report, like a helicopter reporter on a TV station that's overlooking all these, or as many as it can see, because there's, there's quite a bit of them, uh, the craters, the objects that are lined up up and down California, that, that 22.85 miles apart. Well, they, as they're reporting, they're, they're pointing out that it is probably by no coincidence that they're all on the east side of the San Andreas Fault, and they all seem to be about equal distance from the San Andreas Fault. And while they're speculating what's going to happen, the objects open and the three-legged tripods start to rise on the news report. So we actually get to hear the news report, and we get to hear Quint's reaction to this, because we're seeing it live. These things are starting to rise out of the ground, and it looks like something's about to happen. Okay, it is the next day, not quite 24 hours, but it's about five hours away, and this is interesting. I've not seen this before. You just heard how I described how I uh, added the yeast to this, and the yeast seems to be multiplying and growing, but from the bottom up, which is, I have never seen that before. So I'm guessing this yeast that was in this mason jar only floated up a very small portion of the wart and is kind of hanging out i have seen the yeast start at the top especially when i pitch from the top and work its way down so i am curious what's going to happen now i mean when i see yeast when i see see beer really fermenting it looks like it looks like it's boiling I, I think i've described that more than once on the show so i'm wondering once this gets active it makes that big a difference but i'm also wondering if gravity makes it plays a part in that happening so i'm just gonna have to keep a real oh what can i do other than watch it just keep an eye on it and see what happens but it's funny because the entire conical part of this conical fermenter is filled with blooming yeast multiplying yeast the mason jar is full there's activity in there above that nothing absolutely nothing but wart so hopefully <laughs> the way i pitched it is okay really only time will tell at this point um yeah and if it's not i'm not sure i'm not entirely sure what to do because i know a stall a salt yeast you know you had more yeast usually a, a dry yeast uh i don't know what you would call this because it's not stalling but it's not all in the wart so i am not too worried yet We'll see what time does. It's it's not been 24 hours, but it's it's close. We'll see what 48 hours brings, and then I'll start getting concerned if I need to. So let's get to the story. Uh, where now it's been a full day. I actually have to kind of remind myself here. Okay, so all right, we're in the studio, and Karen calls back in, and she is calling because she sees one of these three-legged 
uh, war machine walkers coming towards them. The people, the people that she's with, that are they were headed to the crash site. Of course, now they're working there. They're walking there. They're actually going away. I said they're walking back to their cars, but just they're just trying to make some distance. They, she sees one coming. It's not firing though. It's actually there's a. It's spewing this black. I say smoke, but I guess it's more of a fog because smoke rises. This is falling. The smoke is falling, and and there's a larger and larger kind of blanket of black fog by its feet, and it's it's kind of just hovering around it and following it. And the closer it gets, Karen starts to um, kind of cough and choke, and she eventually passes out. And as she does, her phone's still on, and we can actually hear the walker, the mechanics of the walker, as it steps over the phone. And a little side note apart from the story, this is one of the things I was most excited about with this particular story was doing that sound design, the sound of a giant three-legged alien walking machine walking over an active cell phone. But uh, I'm not going to say that's not going to happen because we don't have the final script yet, but this obviously version hasn't happened. And that's actually the end of that particular scene, so we'll just go on to the next from here. Okay, we're almost a week into fermentation, and the fermentation definitely lifted from the bottom, got all into the entire beer, and you could see the yeast everywhere like I expected. The blow-off tube was was chugging along and actually pushing uh, bubbles out of the, I guess not, well yeah, foam bubbles out of the, out of the, um, I have a half-gallon jug of, no, a third full of sanitizer, so it was making, it was blowing enough CO2 to blow all that foam up and out for a couple days so that it definitely was getting its fermentation there's still a bit of sediment on the sides of the conical from where it was gathering and i'm curious how that's if that's all going to settle out if not i do have a bouncer filter for when i keg this but uh we'll see we'll see i'm not sure uh, i take the first trub out in a few days and then we've still got another week for it to kind of settle out. And it's, it seems it seems been there pretty good, though. So I, I kind of got a feeling it's going to... There's going to be a little bit of uh, residual dead yeast on the side of that conical. And then once the beer starts flowing out into the keg, then it's going to pull some of that with it. But again, I have that bouncer filter. Even if it gets through the filter and into the keg, I'm going to do a findings on this anyway. Um, so that'll take it out. And if I didn't do a findings, it's still going to sit in s- with the slow, low carbonation for at least a week. So any, uh, anything heavier, any particles, any sediment is going to follow the bottom of the keg. And we can pour that right out in the first pint. So I'm not worried about it affecting the overall beer at all. I'm just kind of curious what's, what's going to happen. So next time I use this fermenter, which will probably be the next batch, I'm going to pitch directly into the top of the fermenter and see how things flow in a sense i guess <laughs> i guess that is the right word how everything um works out with that all right so back to the story now quint is watching the news feed again this is the salad uh, sorry i'm reminding myself it's been a few days but this is the southern california or the, this is the san jose california news feed and the tripods they're all lined up they're to the east of the san andreas fault but they're facing west which means since they're on one side of it, they're actually facing the fault. Once all this is kind of figured out and just about the point where everyone knows or or has a good idea what's going to happen, it actually happens. 
in one coordinated event, all those tripods are lined up, fire at once on the San Andreas Fault. And seconds later, we start to hear the beginnings of an earthquake from Quint's side of the call on the live stream. And it doesn't take very long until that noise gets worse and louder and Quint is completely cut off from the stream. Just did the first true dump from the fermentation and everything looked pretty good there. No weird coloring, no uh, unusual textures or sort of viscosity. Everything looked good. Temperature has been holding pretty well for the entire week now. And uh, this is, that looks like it's coming together pretty good. So another week to go and we'll find out. And I think about this time next week and maybe even in the next recording, I'll be kegging. So let's get on to the story. And I'll tell you, this is the last bit of the story, but I'm going to talk more about this as the show goes. But let's get to this. So the communications start to fail nationwide. And that was from the massive attack on the San Andreas Fault in California. It caused a state top-to-bottom earthquake. Basically, that end of the West Coast was severed from the, as far as communications, road systems, electricity was severed from the rest of the country, somewhat physically, I guess, at some point, too. But in all this, by some miracle, Matt is still streaming and able to continue to cover what little he can. He's able to get an app running on his phone, a police scanner app to just kind of scan through and verify that things like this are happening all over the country. Well, not not the massive earthquake, but these attacks. It's nationwide. He gets some reports in other parts of the world. He decides to go up to his roof to take a look, see what's going on in his city. When he does, there's a tripod off in the distance Starting to get closer, he can see that black smoke on the ground covering up street light. What well, street lights are left, mainly car lights, starting to cover everything like a thick blanket. He does see a couple fighter jets screech overhead, head towards a walker, but they're shot out of the sky before anything can even attempt to start attacking these tripods. He stays up on the roof. Black smoke is starting to rise from the ground. He's trying to report as long as he can, but even the smoke is rising to the roof. He starts to cough. Eventually, he passes out, and as we listen, we can still hear some fighting in the distance, and we hear one last radio call over the scanner app that's still running on his phone, and it's a voice saying, 2X2L calling CQ. Is anybody out here? Is anybody out there? Is there anyone? 2X2L calling CQ. And if you've heard the original 1938 War of the Worlds, you know it's a direct callback from pretty much the point of this story, uh, as, as they did as well. Just a few lone voices left out in the world. And that's the end of the story. So it's not the end of this discussion, though. Because, of course, we still have to keg the beer, taste the beer, and give a full report on it. And I want to talk about why that story wasn't used. Maybe now that you've heard it, you dislike it and say well it's kind of obvious or maybe i'm hoping there's maybe a question or two you know what what did i find ultimately wrong uh about that story and i'll talk about it because the presentation of the way i uh laid out the story to share in these 25 recordings isn't necessarily the same as uh 
what was on paper. <laughs> I know that, that probably isn't a good explanation, but I'll explain. In fact, I'll explain it in the next recording, and I'll make more sense instead of trying to set up that I'm going to explain it later. So let's just get on to the next both beer and story recording. All right, it is time to dump the second batch of trub from the fermenter, and I'm happy to say it's only about two-thirds trub. The rest on top is all beer, so I think trub, the trub is settled out except for the stuff on the sides. Huge mistake, pitching the yeast from the bottom of the fermenter up. I'm not going to do that again, so that's going to be a little challenge when I keg this, but again, lucky I'm kegging, so anything that does slip through, we can actually pour out in the first few draws of the keg, and I have a filter to kind of take care of that. So, I lesson learned on that. Not going to do that again. So, as far as this goes, we, it is red. Let's see what it smells like, because I can smell it by now. Now, it's, it's almost pretty much done. It smells very... Smells not bad. Actually, it's a little tough <laughs> to smell because I realized underneath that one-third of beer is two-thirds of yeast. So it's very yeasty smelling. The first smell was you kind of got the beer, but I didn't get really to identify anything after that because then the yeast hit. So actually, this is not really a good test to test the aroma. But I'm going to go ahead and dump this. I'm going to put on a very small mason jar. One a little, I think it's a little eight-ouncer. And then let whatever yeast is going to collect into that. And then we're going to be ready to keg. But until then, i got to get this cleaned up and get that other one on there. And I'm going to do that right now. I took another good look at the fermenter after doing the trub transfer. And it does look like that yeast on that the conical part of the fermenter is going to be a problem. And my biggest concern is that it is going to clog up my bounce filter during the transfer. And I'm going to have to stop, clean it out, and transfer again, which is not good to let the transfer sit there and let air get in the line and restart again. So um, I'm thinking on this approach for kegging. No, we're not there yet. We're still three days away. I think what I'm going to do, we have over five gallons. I, only, I have a five-gallon keg. That's the most I can keg. Let's say we have five and a half gallons. I can't quite see exactly because it's covered up in a big thermal wrap. But let's say it's five and a half gallons. I'm going to run the uh, ha about half of whatever the overage is. Let's say it's five and a half gallons. I'm going to run a quarter gallon out into another container before I start kegging. And hopefully that initial flow will loosen up the worst parts of that yeast that's stuck on a conical. And then the stuff that's really there, stuck hard and fast, will just stay there through the rest of the, uh, rest of the um, what do you call it, the rest of the transfer. Or at least maybe wait till the end and then the bounce filter. If it gets clogged at the end and I get four, gallon, three, four and three quarter gallons, okay, it's not the first time I've done that. So I think that's the approach I'm going to take. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. Now, I mean, I did put another jar on there. Unfortunately, I mean, it's an 8-ounce jar as opposed to the 32-ounce jar. So it might pull out. And again, that yeast may be... Like just a thin layer, just enough that I can't, that it looks worse than it is. So maybe a lot more will settle in those last three days now that I transferred and kind of stirred up the beer a little bit. But time will tell. We shall see. So you're going to find out when I do. And that may possibly likely be next. All right, we are at kegging phase for Wart of the Worlds. And... So far, so good, actually, that 
East I was worried about hasn't seemed to move. The bouncer filter seems to be doing its job. Actually, I don't see it catching all that much, which uh, I think that's saying there's not much to catch. I'm not saying that it isn't doing what it's supposed to. I'm thinking it's not really breaking loose from there. Probably won't until it gets down to the end and uh, starts uh, a little bit more turbulence in the beer gets past that yeast and tears it off. So um, I did have, I did have like five, a little more than five and a half gallons. So I went ahead and did some PET bottles of it. I did three. I was down, I had a fourth ready and I was like, eh, okay, we're getting towards five. I want to leave a little leeway in case that sediment starts to pull. So I have three, I have a fourth ready if I need it, but I've got three extra bottles that I, I did put um, carbonation drops in those kind of lozenge things I talked about in the What the Hop episode. And uh, I'm going to let those bottle conditions see how those come out too, just as a kind of comparison. I don't expect the taste difference because carbonation is carbonation, but just kind of just, you know, since I had the beer, instead of pouring it down the drain, why not? So, all right, we are coming down to two and three quarters gallons. So we're almost halfway kegged here. And as far as the War of the World story goes, that I just told in those Ooh, 24 or 25 clips. Uh, why? There's a couple reasons we didn't do it. One, even though the pace that you heard the story and the story was told probably seems like a logical sequence, the first third of that, even the first half of that, is far longer to get to the points that I was reading than reading them point by point. It was a very, very slow start. It's a lot of people in a lot of places. A lot of places is the key. Having multiple locations, California, Pennsylvania, Orlando, uh, news reports, people calling in. There's a lot of locations to set up and establish and get to where we needed to know who was where and what was going on where for the story. That's fine for like a very epic movie, epic length movie, they should say, or a series of, of stories. But this is one story, and that is a big contributor of a probably close to two-hour run, which I don't want to do. I don't want it to be more than an hour. Because even though it's new media and there are no rules, how many two-hour stories have you sat and listened to on one chunk? Probably not many. I know I certainly haven't. So that was one of the reasons. There's a couple of logistic reasons it didn't happen. But as far as flow of the story in that first half, that's one of the big reasons why we didn't do that. Let's see. We're down to one gallon now, so I'm going to go ahead and stop talking and finish this out. When I come back, I'll talk a little bit more of what I learned from that and where I went from that with other, other drafts. All right, everything is cleaned up and the beer is kegged and I just moved it to the fridge, the full five gallon, heavy, <laughs> heavy five gallons. So I'm a little winded. Into the fridge, the beer was about, or is going to be at 45 degrees, probably overnight. And so I put the CO2 on at 15 PSI. I'd say in about 10 days, we should have our carbonation. I'm of course gonna check it in seven days, but I think in 10 days is probably what we're gonna, when we're gonna get the carbonation we want. And that slow and low, with the gas force carbonation, of course, as we learned quite a few episodes ago, is a way to go. Unless I'm going to bottle condition, which that's a whole other story. I've completely changed my mind on that from when I first started brewing. In fact, that is that is a story, so I'll save that for another episode. So, but since I had some beer left after all that, I poured a little bit into a glass, a tasting glass. Now, this is not the tasting portion of the episode. I just pulled it out of the freezer, tried to get it down the drinking temperature as quick as possible. In fact, let's see what it is. If my thermometer is handy. Uh, 
Oh, there it is. I was going to say, if I move more than two things, I don't call that handy for a sudden uh, recording. So let's see, it's at 55 degrees. Actually, it's not bad. Not bad. So I'd like it a little cooler on a normal basis, but for tasting, not bad. So, okay, or this kind of tasting. Color, it's what I wanted. It's got the red. It's uh, This one's a little cloudy. It was at the end of the... Um, of the uh, fermenter and it's not been fined so it could be a little bit of sediment and a little bit of chill haze aroma got that nice little sting followed by the smell of alcohol that sting from a from a colch sometimes you get from a lager as well but that is that means the yeast was the right choice and it did what it's supposed to do yep definitely um not getting much of anything else just a touch of sweet from the malt but we're talking really really having to dig to find it so it's mainly just the the uh, esters from the yeast and a little bit of alcohol smell so and that's what i that's what i wanted because i wanted even though the color is off style i still wanted to make a cold so i'm going to give this a taste even though it's not carbonated and it still needs like a good week maybe to the age actually that's hmm, that's okay there's a little biscuit on the end so it was a little young but otherwise that's actually kind of ready to go. Actually, I, I, I take that back. That biscuit at the end changed my mind. But the first taste, I thought, oh, that's that's ready to go. But um, just slight bit of biscuit. Actually, it's kind of like a sourdough, like almost a pretzel. <laughs> but let me taste that again. Yeah. Besides that, besides just the very. I mean, we're taking. We're talking almost two. Um, twice the time of a normal aftertaste to get that biscuit but otherwise that is i'm happy with that i'm going to be very happy with this beer i think as long as i didn't mess anything up during that transfer into the keg which i don't really recall anything being out of the ordinary but you never know but otherwise i'm happy with that result so far i'm very excited to get this carbonated and do a true tasting this is pleasant surprise no i shouldn't say surprise i'm surprised it's this good this early that's what I wanted to say. Uh, so once that biscuit taste, although I'm getting that, that pretzel taste again, I get it a couple seconds after the, after the initial aftertaste. That's kind of interesting. I could call it a Philadelphia Kolsch with that taste, but that will probably age out probably by the time I taste it. And it actually, if it isn't aged out, it's so slight, it may even be masked by the carbonation. But that's not the official tasting. We're getting to that. So uh, this went on a little longer than I expected, and I don't have... All that much to say, and I don't want to, about the War of the Worlds original, I don't want to force it until I get towards the last bit of recording. So I'm going to skip a story in this recording and just go on to the next thing right now. All right, it's been five days. So I'm going to give a quick carbonation check, though I'm pretty sure it's probably not ready yet. But I also purged the head and kind of filled up a pint glass to get the what was there out and get the uh, flow going on the tap. So maybe we're about to find out actually right now. Okay, yeah. Uh, looking at what I have in my hand right now, I think the carbonation on this is done and ready. So, I mean, there's no hard and fast rule saying it had to be 10 days, but this is, after pouring out a full pint, that I expect the first CO2 to be pretty heavy. Uh, but now, 
this is the second one right after it, and it's still pretty heavy. It's, in fact, it's probably more than it needs to be. I don't think it's overcarbed quite yet, but um, I think it's where it needs to be. So I'm going to give it a taste, but this is not the official tasting portion of the episode yet. I'm just going to say too bad it's not the official tasting portion yet, but that is yet to come. So we'll, I'll leave, I'll hold on to my opinion until we get to that. I will talk about the story that, whoops, that was me knocking a license plate over the table in my garage where my beer refrigerator is. Um, <laughs> what was I saying? Oh, story, where are the world story. So what did I learn from that, from the problems I found putting that script together that I'm going to try to adapt? I think it's pretty simple from one aspect from the the way where the story plays out like picture a target like even the symbol for target stores in that center dot is where news as studios where my character is that second ring that's where quint and karen are that third ring is where dave is uh put a fourth ring out there that's where the rest of the world is and all those rings we have to go out span to them and then get them back to the middle so actually the story kind of starts on those outside rings we have to get everything back to the middle because that's kind of the point of this version of the story is to have a worldwide attack so i think we're going to still keep that target analogy in the worldwide attack world am i saying that worldwide attack it just doesn't sound right when i say that worldwide attack is going to take place in that bullseye and then spread out from the get-go we're not going to kind of lead everything in and then go back and forth i think it's going to start with a dead-on bullseye and spread from there. And that's what I've been doing in the latest drafts I've been working on. And we'll see where it goes. Uh, Not done yet. Not what I'm completely happy with, but closer. Closer than the story I told. So there is that. There's progress being made. So this is a project that's very important to me. And if I don't think it's the script that it should be or could be better said, then I'm, I'm not quite ready to do it. So... That's where we're at right now as of this recording. So, all right. We'll get back probably to the true tasting now at this point. I'm actually going to get the gas off this and let it kind of sit at serving pressure. Uh, and so it doesn't get any uh, overcarbonated. And I, oh, I, almost <laughs> I almost made a comment on the beer. I'm not going to because this is not the tasting. So tasting maybe next or very soon after this. Now it is finally time for the tasting of this beer. And I am going to tell you right now, this was supposed to be a bigger event than it ended up being. Now why? I have a clip that explains that. So here's a clip of me and Dave from Stars and Characters, Seinfeld and Character, a ton of other things that Neo's as in his dining room around his recording station, tasting the beer. And with that, the explanation why... The big event, I hope this tasting would be, didn't quite happen. We're going to try the Ward of the World's beer, the Red Kolsch I made. Now, this was supposed to be a tasting between Dave, Quint, Karen, and I, the four people that were in the original draft of War of the Worlds. You haven't heard this yet, but the as I brewed this beer, I read the outline of the original war of the world's draft i did two years ago oh okay and the four of us were all in it nice well when i went to bottle this mm. i was short by about three and a half bottles of beer yeah because <laughs> somebody drank all the stuff in the keg i don't know who did that I don't know. So somebody that lives in your house yeah. that 
that made it. Right. So it's just you and I. You and I drinking it. I have the bottle here. Would you like to peruse the label before I open it? I would love to peruse the label. It's not as funny as the other ones. This one was a little more serious until I didn't actually finish the War of the Worlds. All right, I shall recording read this. this year. To paraphrase H.G. Wells, we know now that in the early years, at the 21st century, this world was being watched closely by intelligences greater than man's and watched us drink beer. <laughs> and they wanted it. <laughs> All right, this is a little funnier than I thought. It is cool. What does it say underneath there? It says there, it says, pour in the glass and drink during War of the Worlds Week. Okay, that's. I love your little There's a little old-timey radio. Nice. Yep. We saw some of those okay, today. Yep. And then the description, which I've already described throughout the throughout the episode, but it's uh, it's brewed for War of the Worlds Week, and war, it's called War of the Worlds. I don't know if I, I must have described it in the episode. It's been two months now, but I think if I haven't, I have the definition on here. Wort is a sweet, hopped, unfermented liquid created during the brewing process. And we start with a classic Kolsch style and added hand-selected specialty grains to create a one-of-kind red Kolsch for a celebration. That's exactly... What this is, it is Kolsch. It's mainly a Pilsner base. It's got a Kolsch yeast by White Labs. It's got classic German hops and just a little bit of just enough grains to make it red and hopefully not a very roasty taste to it. Though I don't know how it aged out, so we'll find out. I'm looking forward to seeing the color, and I love Kolsch's, okay, especially in the summer. We're ready? I'm ready. Do you want to open it? That's no, you okay. do the honors. You're the... Uh, okay, good. It, There's the, it's your baby. There's the hiss. So let's... I heard a hiss. What do you think of the smell? I can't smell anything. I'm all stuffed up from it's being out in nature today. It's definitely a great color. I like this color. I should have poured a little more aggressively. There we go. Yours got to get yours a little more of a hit on. There we go. That's kind Thank of what you. I was trying to get. So there it should smells be, great. There should be a crispness to it without it being too multi or hot. There really shouldn't be much hopping to it. Crispness is... The taste that should come to it. Let's, I smell let's no uh, hops. I, I do smell malt. It's a strange. It's <laughs> it's more malty than it came out of the keg. It might have something to do with the bottling. It is malty. It's great. Well, thank you. But it's still, it's like you're not, you guys are not getting from the bottle what I'm getting from the keg, which is probably has something to do with the way you bite the bottle and the plastic. So when you drank this at home, what was different about it? it was not this malty. It was okay. just it was crisp. It was like mostly yeast. The the yeast characteristics from that flavor were coming through. Was it this color? Mm-hmm. I like this too because I'm holding it up to the light, and the bubbles that are collecting in the bottom of my glass are pink. Like and uh, like as I hold it yep. up, like I'm getting like through the light a really nice kind of uh, almost wine like uh pinkish not not quite as light as a rose would look but like a darker between a rose and a merlot mm-hmm. i like it hmm. yeah, yeah i would just... drink this all day is the he said it's 4.8 on here is that it's pretty accurate? probably more now because i did i think i figured out and i talk about the how it's over carbonated in the beginning of these recordings and what when I kegged it and I pulled the yeast off and was cleaning out the, I rinsed out the fer, the uh, fermenter. There's like a fine layer of yeast in the in the trap in the drain, and I noticed when I went to rinse that out, it was bubbling, not like boiling, bubbling. But there's little air bubbles, so I think there was more active yeast when I kegged this 
than normal. And since it's now in an airtight and uh, sealed container, the carbonation it was releasing was being reabsorbed, plus I was actively carbonating it. So I think I double carbonated it for a few days. Right. But it finally went down. And this is actually a little less, which happens in bottling from directly from a, from a keg. But I'm actually surprised how much is still holding in there. Right. And this bottle, like I have even still sitting over there from the last time we had one of your beers, the bottle that you bottled the creature in, which I have sitting right over mm-hmm. there, is a taller, more slender bottle than this one. Right. Does that matter at all? No, no, okay. it's just what I had on hand. Okay. Now I noticed, uh, now I'm halfway through my pour, I'm getting less malt and a little more of that crispness from it that I remember. I don't know if yours is changing now that it's kind of, the air is getting to it a little bit yeah. more. Yeah, a little bit. It's getting lighter. Not as sweet. Let me just pour a little more. Did you... Um, I love the label. <laughs> and you. this uh, style of alien ship is something that we saw a lot of today. Yeah, that's one of the original drawings that was made for the Vanity Fair article. Back in, was it 1800-something? I forget the year, which is... It's a shame. I forget. I should know that. And it's just, I put the red hue on it. I didn't want to mess with it. And once I did that, I was like, eh, it's like less is more. It's like, I'm not going to mess with it anymore. Because it's a black and white like okay. pencil pen drawing. I put that red overlay on it. I was like, you know what? Let's not mess with it anymore. Because it's, it's probably going to ruin it. It's gorgeous. And it even has a shadow behind the the alien ship of the ship. Also, like almost like it was... Um, Shadowed on the clouds behind it, or something like that. Yep, I'm getting that multi more multi taste than before again. I don't know how that happens, but at least it didn't go bad. It's not rancid. No, no. I did have a beer I bottled that did not like going from keg to bottle and went rancid. What was that like? It was just it was it tasted like sour, but not a sour, and very had a very. Like they felt like there's a film in your mouth, and there may have well been like there's mm. something in there that did that to it. So it was unpleasant. It went rent rancid. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm happy to share it with you. I just I wish wish we were able to taste it directly from the keg. But somebody drank it all. I know some jerk. <laughs> <laughs> now this is great, I, and I understand why you may or may not be disappointed. But as a drinker. I'm and experiencing this for the first time. This is excellent. I'm really enjoying it. Oh, good. No, thank you. So I did record my initial tasting and review of the beer right after kegging it, like I do with every brewing recording. Didn't necessarily think I'd need it with one having the intent of having all the performers from the War of the World story you just heard taste this, and two managing to get a couple bottles together for me and Dave to taste and review. But as you just heard, there was a distinct change from the kegging of the beer to bottling. So I want to share what my initial reaction of that beer was, and I'm going to play that now. Now it's finally time for the official tasting of Ward of the Worlds. I just did a couple draws off of the kegerator first two i i did clear it with gelatin 
And I had to do a couple tries to clear that out because it was quite carbonated, the first few glasses. In fact, the, the glass I have now is a little more than I'd like. So this was quite, quite carbonated, which is strange. I didn't have it on any longer than I felt I needed to. So not sure what's going on, but we'll, we'll, I'll keep an eye on that. Maybe, maybe my pressure gauge on my kegerator is wrong. It's a possibility. Anyway, regardless, though, I did get a good, a good glass out of it. It's not all foam it's it's a very good pour it's just a bigger head than i wanted and getting the the uh gelatin out the, the findings out took it probably was a full pint but it took like three tries because that foam kept building up and kind of wish i talked about it because it was night and day the first draws of right out of the keg were like super cloudy you couldn't see anything through in fact it's like a different color it's almost like a solid burgundy color you could not see through this and I was thinking, like, I wasn't sure if I messed it up putting the findings in or if it was, since it was so, actually, my first thought was, this is really cloudy. This is going to take a gallon worth of drawing out of the keg to get rid of this. But it really it took probably a pint, maybe a pint and a half. Hard to tell with all that foam. But the, the one I have now, it is crystal clear. I can see right through. I can see it's, in fact, it's, it is a red color. I'll, I'll talk a bit about that. Even with the red color. I can see directly through this glass and see the details across the room. They're just red. I'm looking through a <laughs> deep rose-tinted glass. It's a, I'm looking through a really deep red glass, actually. So it is crystal clear. That worked really, really well, which it always has for me, so I'm happy about that. Well, talk about the color. It is dark red, deep red, not quite blood red, a little darker than that. But that was, I'm only mentioning blood red because that was the inspiration drawn from the H.G. Wells story. The red weed, which was uh, watered, well, I guess blooded, but watered with blood. So that's that, that was definitely the uh, inspiration for the color. So I'm happy, very, very happy with that. So let's get the taste of it. Let's check out the aroma. I, not much of anything, which is kind of be... I, I definitely know there wasn't going to be any hops, but not getting any direct malts. What I'm getting, if anything... It's kind of that like tangy yeast smell that you get from all yeast. If you ever uh, made uh, made bread or been in a bakery, that kind of tangy smell in the air, that's about all I can really pull out of it, and I'm really trying. And maybe, actually, when I take a really deep breath, there's like a little hint of sweet kind of in the back of my back of my uh, nasal passage that's kind of hitting, but that, that may be a physical thing from the effervescence that's c coming off the uh, top of the carbonation on this head. But best those, those two, the only thing I'm getting, and I'm really, really stretching to find them. They might not even necessarily be there. I just imagining they should be, but so very light, <laughs> almost non-existent on the aroma, but let's take a taste here. Okay, <laughs> I am really happy right now. This is, my biggest fear is, and the first thing I'm going to talk about is something that's not there. My biggest fear was that putting in those specialty molds, that can be overwhelming and overshadow a lot of things in a beer if used in the proper amounts is not there. So I put, I think, just enough in for the color. In fact, the color is so deep, I could, if I did this again, I could probably take a certain percentage out but they're not overpowering this beer 
So now that is the worst thing I was trying to taste. Let me get another taste and see uh, see if it's the Kolsch style I'm looking for. It's 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 got that that for me a Kolsch has that it goes along with the the uh, aroma that has to have that little bit of a tang almost a sting and almost kind of if you really concentrate you're almost almost hurts to drink that almost that's a wild exaggeration when you're really concentrating on it it's, but there is a like a sting to it almost a little bit of a burn and it's uh I'm that comes from the yeast which is what i wanted i wanted the pilsner base and i wanted the yeast to do its job and then the other stuff just color it and this is i'm really Actually surprised. I'm gonna take another taste. I held it for quite a bit there, and it's there's definitely the uh, mouthfeel is there for Kolsch. The alcohol percentage seems about right. I think. I think we're. I think we got a Kolsch. I think we got a red Kolsch. This is. I'm a pretty happy guy right now. This is good. Maybe. I mean. A red Kolsch is not a style, so I don't really have anything. I couldn't enter this into a competition as a Kolsch because the first thing they say is out of style, but I have, I have a beer that I'm pretty damn happy with right now. I'm kind of surprised. I, I thought that for going off the uh, off script on the style, I was setting myself up for disaster, but I'm happy with this. Okay, so for my final assessment of whether or not this was a success, I'm going to say it was a success, but I'm also going to note that this is a beer that clearly has to be enjoyed right away. It has to be enjoyed fresh. I'm not exactly sure what changed between bottling the beer and, or I should say, tasting the beer out of the keg and then tasting it out of the bottle there's actually quite a few chemical factors there one there is an exposure to oxygen which can do something to a beer i try to minimize that obviously but when you're capping a beer there's no matter how fast you are there's some exposure to that beer to the air moreover i think which was probably a big factor was the fact that the beer once it was chilled and in the keg kind of wants to stay at that temperature at least that's what i'm starting to learn and we've taken it from its serving temperature which is about 41 42 degrees ro uh rosed it raised it raised it wow <laughs> sorry but complete blank on how grammar worked there we raised the temperature to room temperature before transporting the beer which took place outside at some point so that probably actually raised the temperature even higher who knows how high room temperature being 75 degrees it could have reached 80 90 I doubt anything past that, but then it was dropped down to serving temperature again, somewhere in the 40s. Very likely that had something to do with the taste difference that I experienced between the keg and the bottle. So I'm not going to give up trying to get beers to people to enjoy. I'm just going to go about it a different way. And I think one way to possibly do that is to bottle directly from the fermenter. And bottle condition also, it uh, means I'll put some sugar in the bottle and let the yeast eat that and uh, uh, let's, uh, expel CO2 and carbonate the beer that way and then never drop that beer's temperature. Always keep it unrefrigerated until it gets to the person I want to taste it and let them refrigerate it. That's going to be a huge change. Now, 
you're also changing your CO2 volumes. You don't have control as you do over gas, but it's, I think, going to be a good trade-off. That's something I'm going to try in the future. But as far as this beer goes, this is what we really want to talk about, the future of this beer. I am really eager to make this again, but when I do, I want to make sure it's going to be for a specific event. And I don't mean an event I have in mind. I mean, I want to make sure there's going to be people that are going to be drinking it right away. If we know people are coming over, if we're going to have like a big holiday picnic or if we're going to have some kind of meetup with Neozaz or something my wife or neighbors or something that's going to have 20 people at it, I'll make it for that. Because it'll probably be gone by the end of that day. And that's how this beer should be enjoyed. Like, right, it's it's peak age is about five weeks after brewing. Maybe six to eight under the right temperatures. Seems like it doesn't last much longer than then. So I, when I make this, I'm going to make sure it is going to be enjoyed right away. Not sitting around and not getting a chance to. It didn't age bad. I'll give it that. But I really want a day to experience that crisp, sharp, Kolsch taste and whatever happened in transit changed it a little bit. So, but that's not going to stop me from making this again. And with that, that'll just about do it for this episode of Is It Beer Yet? War of the Worlds Week edition. I hope you enjoyed this episode. It was a lot different on both sides, admittedly, both on the Is It Beer Yet? side and the War of the Worlds Week side. And I hope the War of the Worlds portion intrigued you enough to check out the Neozaz.com War of the Worlds production whenever that may be. I don't even dare say a year at this point for fear of pre-jinxing any of our efforts. Best I can say is stay tuned. There's more War of the Worlds week to come, including a special Best of Fives episode with my fellow War of the Worlds enthusiasts from across the pond, Eric Moore from the series Effectively Speaking and Blake Seven in Character. There's a really fun Matt's Crummy Comics Collection episode featuring Ash versus Evil Dead and the War of the Worlds Martians, and a special 80th anniversary episode for the 1938 broadcast. All that yet to come, and some great shows already this week, and from past years as well. There is always something brewing at Is It Beer Yet? And I- one, can't believe I said that. Two, can't believe it's taking me the song to say that. We've got Drink Local episodes always rolling in. Always more beer to brew, and the this month, the month that this episode is released, which is October 2018, we've attempted to make 13 beers for our annual Halloween Horror Nights event. As of this recording, which is actually a little before October, we're not done yet, so check out the Is It Beer Yet feed in October to see if we made all 13 in time for Halloween and how they came out, or at least the ones that we did make came out. Halloween is the biggest holiday at NeoZaz.com, and this year is shaping up to be the biggest year yet with Halloween-themed episodes from shows all over the network, anchored by our series of Catacombs Halloween Horror Nights, which reports on Universal Studio Orlando's mega-haunt event, Halloween Horror Nights. The Gradies is featuring horror and Halloween-invoking movies all this month. And Podcast of Horrors, the Simpsons Treehouse of Horror series, is back for Halloween. All that and a ton more at NeoZaz.com. Check out our social media pages that go along with all these Halloween specials. We are NeoZaz on Twitter and Instagram and NeoZaz Podcast on Facebook. Everything we do at NeoZaz.com is made possible by the generosity of our Patreon supporters. That's what helps us produce new content and possibly more importantly is what keeps all the old content from all the years we've been doing this online, including the past three years of War of the Worlds Week. To learn more about that, visit Patreon.com slash NeoZaz. That will do it for this episode. I am Matt in News as Studios in Orlando, Florida. Thank you for checking out Is It Beer Yet? 
War of the Worlds Week Edition. Thank you for joining me for our Halloween 2018 celebration. Thank you, of course, for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode. We'll be right back. 